Stop talking now. For the love of everything, woman, stop talking. I do my best to not think about this ever. So please stop talking about it. Death, it might be a possibility for some people, but it's not for me right now. I don't have to think about it. It doesn't actually have to change how I live. Or you're the second person who's thinking, well, I mean, I, I don't think about death that often, but I'm okay with it. It doesn't make me too uncomfortable. I know that it will happen. I know that it will come. But it doesn't really make a difference in how I live my day-to-day -day life. How should it? All I can see is what's in front of me. Does it really matter what happens in eternity now, today, on a Friday night? Or you're the third person who's like, yes, keep talking. I can't wait to see Jesus. Sin is real. Life sucks sometimes. And I cannot wait to see him face to face. I can't wait. Keep talking. Tell me more. Let's talk about heaven. But even if, even if you're that third person, if you're the holiest one of all of us, does it really make a difference in your day-to-day -day life? The fact that one day we will see Jesus face to face, every single one of us. Does the thought of eternity, does it actually change how you live? Sorry, this is going to drive me nuts if it does this whole time. How's that? Less, really? I don't know. Um, okay, so the call and invitation for all of us tonight, what I want to invite us to and to convince you of is that we're actually meant to live a certain way. And we're meant to live like we're dying. We're meant to live like we're dying. Yes, Tim McGraw, he said it first, but God's word said it even before Tim McGraw. Live like we're dying. So in this series, we've been talking about entertainment. We've been talking about what we take in, what we see, what we hear. And tonight we're going to talk about what we do. So the things that take up our, our free time. What do we do with our free time? How do we live in our day-to-day -day life? And God's word, it actually has something to say about it. It has a lot to say about it. We're just going to look at a little passage tonight. And it's not just a list of do's and don'ts and a long list of rules, but it's actually, it's an invitation. His word is an invitation to life, to life now, knowing that there is an abundant life to come in eternity. And we don't just have to wait till then. It's an invitation into reality, into the way that life actually is. Because the moment that we breathe our last breath, whether it's tonight or in 70 years from now, we will enter eternity in that moment. So let's, let's live like we're dying with an awareness that death will come to us all. And it's not actually something we have to be afraid of. It's not something we have to, have to be anxious about. But it is something that should and can change the way that we actually live today and live tomorrow and live our weekends and every day. So we're going to plant ourselves in a little short text in the book of James in the New Testament. And we want to ask, what does God have to say to us through James, through this little passage? And we're going to look at that in three ways. Number one, arrogant brag. Number two, reality check. And number three, perspective shift. And we're just going to kind of work through the passage and look at what it tells us about living like we're dying. So let's start off with number one, arrogant brag. So turn with me to James 4. We're going to be in his second last chapter in James. Um, we'll read a few of the verses there. But as you're, as you're turning there in your Bibles, a little context for James. He was the half-brother of Jesus. So they had the same mother, Mary. Um, and he actually didn't become a believer or a Christian until after Jesus had died and rose again. He didn't believe his whole life until Jesus had actually died and risen again. And then he became a pillar in the church, a leader in the church, specifically the church in Jerusalem. 
And so he wrote this letter mostly to Jews or to Israelites, but not ones that were actually in Jerusalem. These were Jews that had been scattered. James 1 verse 1 says that he's writing to those in the dispersion. So all these Jews that had been scattered all over the area. And he writes to them with a mixture of encouragements and exhortations or challenges. And our passage tonight is a little bit more of a challenge. It falls in the challenge uh, column. So let's read it together. James 4 verses 13 through 16. And he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So as we consider point number one, arrogant brag, we're kind of look at the first verse and the last verse there. Um, and James, he's calling out these people. He's calling them out for being these people who, who make their plans for the future, for the weekend, for tomorrow, whatever it might be. Maybe to go to the grocery store, or go to Chilliwack, or maybe even bigger, like going to Cape and Ray, or going on a Europe trip, or a summer trip uh, next, next summer. And at first read, it sounds fine, right? Like what, there isn't really anything wrong with saying, tomorrow I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to make some money, and I'm going to go this place and that place. That sounds fairly normal. It sounds a lot like our lives all the time. I'm, I'm saying tomorrow after work, I'm going to go to Plato's closet, I'm going to bring my clothes, and I'm going to sell my clothes and make so much money, knowing that really in reality I'll go the next day and they'll reject most of my clothes and give me a long list of reasons to why my clothes suck. Any other girls here with me? It's very embarrassing. So I don't actually really make money at Plato's closet, but I make plans to go to Plato's closet and make so much money. Or I say like this weekend, this weekend, I'm going to make some plants. We're going to have some friends over. We're going to have a wine and cheese night. We're going to play games. It's going to be great. Or if you're Freddie, you're going to play soccer. If you're Adam, you'll be watching some uh, latte art and YouTube videos on the weekend. <laughs> Big plans. And yet, underneath all of our plans, there are, there's this underlying attitude of, of certainty, of, of confidence, of conviction, that unless we actually cancel our plans, they're happening. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, our plans are happening. And, and verse 16, the last verse in our passage, tells us what the root of it all is. That underneath it all, there's this attitude of arrogance. Like, like they know with certainty what tomorrow holds. Like their plans are rock solid. Like that trip next year is 100% happening. Like cancellation insurance is for losers. Who gets that? Because we have this certain pride in our, in our abilities, in, our, in ourselves, really, and in our permanence, that I will be here tomorrow, and I'm going to make plans as if I will be. We make all our plans with this confidence. Because you see, when I make those plans for, for wine and cheese night on Saturday, I'm counting on the fact that I will still be alive on Saturday, that I will still be healthy enough to, to think, to interact with friends, to host people, that I'll still have a house to invite people into that won't have burned down. Do I have control over any of those things? No, none of them. I'm not God. And, and while God's common grace, all of his everyday blessings besides salvation, his common grace actually prevents sin from just having full reign and that more than likely I will still be alive tomorrow. More than likely I won't have a stroke and my house won't burn down. More than likely those things won't happen. But are they possibilities? Yeah. And who, who have I left out of my plans for tomorrow? Well, I've left God completely out of it. I've somewhere, somewhere along the way, I've taken him out of the picture completely. 
And sure, with, with big decisions, I invite him into it. Like, what school should I go to? Who should I marry? What trip should I maybe go on next year? Maybe I'll ask him those big questions. But in, in everyday ones, I hardly ever remember to consult him. I kind of just claim independence from him altogether. Like, I'm actually in control of both the, the duration, how long I am here, and the direction of my life. I have both of those things under my control. I'm an independent woman. And, and yes, he's sovereign, but like, next summer, I'm 100% going to Tofino. And, and yes, he's my father, but I am for sure going to the Christmas Gala on the 16th. And yes, he holds the future, but, but I'm also going to be married by 21, or get a raise, or go on this trip with these people. Is that an attitude? Does it sound like there's an attitude of worship to a sovereign God who knows the future and has asked us to rely on him for our, for our daily bread? Not our future bread, but our, our, our bread for today. Everything that we need for today. Does it sound like as we make our plans that we're actually aware of our humanness? Does it sound like we know and believe like we could drop dead at any moment? James, he calls this arrogance. He says that it is arrogant boasting, and he says that all kinds of this boasting or bragging are evil. They're not okay. And he calls us out. He calls the church in Jerusalem out, and he's calling us out now as we read it tonight in 2022 for this attitude of superiority, that we make our plans with this presumptuous claim or this assumption that, that we're in control, that we're independent from the Lord, and we don't actually have to involve him in our day-to-day -day plans. Kind of like we'll live forever, not like we're dying, not like our, our days are numbered. And the interesting thing is that this is not a new symptom of humanity's rebellion against God, our desire to be independent of him. Because no sin is really new sin. It's just recycled or reimagined sin in many ways. Because from the very first time that the first woman and the first man walked the earth and the rebellion changed everything, in that moment... We have been living ever since then as though we know better than God. We've been living as though, as though we are God. And it shows itself in how we make our plans and spend our time. We walk and talk as if there's no God and, and no eternity to come, really. A few weeks ago, we had a friend that was driving back from Salmonar, and he'd been visiting um, some places up there. And he was driving back on a Saturday night to go to church on a Sunday. He comes here to Downs Road. And he, he started a community house here in Abbotsford, so he lived with a whole bunch of guys um, and made it a sweet place of Christian community for a bunch of men. He worked as a physio um, where he healed so many people, myself included, where he actually used his hands but also his mental capacity to do all that he could to bring healing to people. Meanwhile, witnessing to them, telling them who Jesus was, encouraging those who already loved Jesus. He was a friend to so many people so many people. He was always bringing new people in. He always had eyes for the people on the outskirts. He was always bringing people together. He lived like he was dying. And on that Saturday night, his car crashed, and a few days later, he was dead. Gone. At 29 years old, gone. Gone to be with Jesus and enjoying him forever. Right now, as we speak, he is currently enjoying Jesus, but he He's gone, and his life ended way sooner than anyone expected. His eternity came way sooner than he expected, than we expected. 
But the sweet thing is that he was ready because he'd been living like he was dying. He filled his life to the brim, to the brim with people where he got to care for them, with community, with adventure, with nature, with beautiful things, service to others, and so much joy, all because of the, the one that he knew, the one that he knew was in control of his life. He was so firmly placed in the hands of his father that he didn't actually have to worry about what the future held. So he made plans. He made big plans if he knew him. But he always made them with the assumption and the knowledge that, but only if, only if I'm alive then, really, only if those plans actually come to fruition, only if that's what the Lord would have. Because he had come to realize, our friend Aaron had come to realize that, that really there's only two things in life that are eternal, people and God's word. Those are the only two things that last beyond the grave. And he spent his life pouring himself out for both of those things. What if we asked for, for those same eyes of eternity? What do you think we'd see? Who do you think we'd see differently? How would, how would time lengthen and shorten simultaneously, not knowing how much of it we have? How differently would we brag? Look at your calendar for a moment. Maybe just think back over this last week. How did you spend your time this last week? What filled your calendar? Maybe it was Google, Google Calendar, all the different colors blocked out. What were, what were in those blocks? What does it reveal your priorities to be? Your thoughts, your energy, your time, your affections? Do you, like Aaron, do you spend your time on the things that are eternal, on people and on God and his word? Or on fleeting things, things that don't actually last beyond the grave? They're not bad things, but do they, do they fill your calendar? Like social media? New clothes, sports scores, sports games, superficial conversation, whatever it might be. Are they, are they consuming your life? Are your plans centered around making a dime or finding a boyfriend or even just being comfortable? Are they, surrounded, are they surrounding the fact of making yourself comfortable? And where does it show your, your arrogant bragging? How many wine and cheese nights have we planned with no thought to God of eternity? What plans have we made next year with no thought to God? There is such a thing as wise stewardship where we plan for the future, and yet there is a version of stewardship where we, we plan for something that we are confident is going to happen, and we, we think that we can actually plan future events, that life and death is in our hands, and we are in control of it. And then what does your calendar reveal that you love? Because where you invest your, your, your love, you invest your life. So where are you investing? Your, your love, your talents, even your thought life? Take an audit of your life when you go home tonight. When you leave here, scroll back through your calendar or think back through the week and take an audit of your life. Audit your life and ask yourself, am I living like I'm dying? Now, all this talk of death and dying, it could leave us just floundering in anxiety and panic as we feel, oh my goodness, I haven't been doing enough, or it's coming, when is it coming? We could just be floundering in anxiety with all the terrible things that could happen if we left us there. But fortunately, James, he doesn't leave us there, and he hits us next with a reality check. And at first, it sounds like bad news, but the sweet thing is that it's actually the sweet invitation into reality, because don't we want to know what reality is? Take the blinders off? 
and it enables us to live like we're dying. So let's keep reading in our text here. So verse 14 says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So he's just called out these people. He says, they're going to this town and this place and making a profit. And he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So he's saying, you make your plans as if you know what the future holds. But you don't even know what, what tomorrow holds. You don't know what, what tragedy or joy will come tomorrow. You don't know what unexpected news, what new friendship what gift of money, what car breakdown will happen tomorrow. You don't know any of it. You don't even know if you'll be here tomorrow. What is your life? It's a vapor, a mist, just a little bit of steam from the kettle that's there for a moment and then gone. And it, it doesn't take much convincing or reminding for all of us to feel that, that vaporness of life, that steam from a kettle feeling. Because we, we're often found saying, where did November go? How is it already December? Or we say, grade 12, that felt like yesterday. That was already three years ago, or 10 years ago, or 15 years ago. Or how about this one, Shrek, came out 21 years ago. Probably lots of you weren't even alive then. Wild. But that's how fast time moves. We feel that within ourselves, this feeling of, of vapor that we can't grasp it. Time is like sand that's just always slipping through our hands. We can't ever hold onto it. It just keeps going. So how is this good news? This doesn't sound it at first. Well, well, for one, it's reality, which like I said, we'd rather know what reality is than to live in an imaginary world where we think actually maybe we can escape death. Maybe that is a possibility. Maybe it's not coming for me. And it's also good news because God has revealed in his word that death is not the end. And that is good news. It's actually a gateway into eternity. It's just a door that we pass through into eternity, into forever. Because as much as we think that we want to live forever, that we want to avoid death, that would actually be the worst news. If I told you that you actually are going to live forever with disease and sickness and with all the effects of sin in your own heart, in the lives of those around you, in the world itself, forever. That sounds awful to be stuck in a world of sin when there's actually been something promised that is far, far better. Let me explain. When the, when the world was first created, way back at the very beginning, God created it whole. His intention was to dwell with his people. Without decay, without disease, that was his intention, to dwell with his people and for his people. And it was created very good. If you read Genesis 1 through 3, God's fingerprint is everywhere. People were meant to flourish in this world. In harmony with him and in harmony with one another, there was flourishing. There was a world to be cultivated and developed. And the best part, this is actually where God walked with his people. They could actually feel his tangible presence and be in the glory of his presence. They knew the sound of his voice. They enjoyed friendship with him. And yet... Though it was perfect, it wasn't wholly perfect in that there was a potential for sin. There was the capacity for sin to enter this world. And so the first people rebel and they reject God. They reject the one who their soul has been made for. They reject their creator. 
They believed the lie that God wasn't really in control, that he wasn't really good, that he wasn't really trustworthy. And in one act, that one moment, the whole world was cast under this, this spell of sin forever and ever. There was nothing and there has been nothing that sin has not touched. It's affected everything. And so as a result, in Genesis 3, verses 20 through, 22 through 24, God says, just after the rebellion has happened, he says, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what he's saying is that, that so that humanity would not live forever in this marred and broken and sinful world by eating from this tree of life, God actually made a partial solution. There was a partial solution made in that moment in that God made humanity pass through death and not live forever in this broken state to end the life of suffering before entering into an eternal home where there would actually be such perfection that sin could never again enter. And then the whole solution, so that was a partial solution, but the whole solution came years later and his name is Jesus. And he is that way maker that actually has bridged the gaps so that we again can walk with God in the garden, that we long for this, this home that he has prepared for us. That if we're trusting in Jesus as the way maker, as the only one who gives us access to God again, then we actually can look forward to an eternity with him forever where there will be no more sin and no more death and no more disease and no more pain and no more decay and only him. So, for those trusting in Jesus, death is, is just a door. It's a door into eternal life, into our forever home. And this, that fact, is how we can actually live our day-to-day -day without anxiety, without fear of the future. Can I say, though, if this isn't you, if Death still is causing that, that panic, that anxiety, that, that stomach turning over, those butterflies, whatever it might be, that visceral feeling or just those thoughts that are on a hamster wheel. If death is causing you to feel that way, and if this good news that I'm saying is good, you're like, that still doesn't sound so good to me. Or even as a Christian, if you're like, no, I am trusting in Jesus, but honestly, heaven sounds a little dull, and I don't know if I want to go there. I don't know if that's still good news. Can you talk to one of us after? Because we would love to work it through with you. We would love to explain to you how this, this is good news, because I only have a brief moment, but I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the best news that anyone will ever tell you, and I want you to be convinced of this. So if you're not, if you're not a Christian, or you are a Christian, and either way it doesn't sound like good news, talk to us. We would love to walk you through it. So back to where we're the here and now. So we're waiting for this eternal home. We're feeling like a vapor like an eternal mist that's just come and gone. And yet we still have to live. We still have to discern how to spend our time. So how does the reality that we're just that passing mist, that steam from a kettle, how does it actually spur us on to, to live like we're dying? Well, for one, it, it shuts our mouth to that, that arrogant bragging that James talked about. 
like living as though we are in control of the future, as if we know what the future holds, without any thought to, our, to our creator who actually knows the future. But it also spurs us on to not waste our life. Whether we live until we're 90, or we only have 90 more minutes left on this earth, we only have one life to live. So live in light of eternity. Live in light of your, your vaporness. What do you think people will say at your funeral? Have you ever thought about that? How will people sum up your life? Will they, will they talk about your accomplishments or how many games you won, how much fantasy basketball you won, your style, your hair? What will they talk about? Or will they, will they speak of your deep love for Jesus and how that actually permeated every aspect of your life? How you lived like you were dying. How there can be sadness that you were gone and yet at the same time they know where you are and they know that you were so excited to get there. What will they say? Will they say that your, your deep love for Jesus actually affected the way you lived so that it actually rubbed off on other people around you? Did people around you feel known and seen and heard and understood and pointed to the good news? Will they say that he or she, they, they spent their life loving God and loving people. Because that's the greatest commandment. So everyone has a Bible. And it's eternal. Open it. Read it. Drink from it. Read it with other people. Everyone should know someone outside the kingdom. Go talk to them. Bring them into the kingdom. And everyone probably knows another Christian. You're in this room, so you know one other Christian. Encourage them. Spur them on. Remind them of where we're headed, that this world is not it. God's word and God's people, those are the only things that are eternal in life, that will last beyond the grave. So may our, may our aim in all of this to be contentedly settled in the reality of eternity and the good news that we have as Christians. And then we live in light of it. We trade our earthly eyes with eternal eyes. And we live out our story, mindful that we have this, this eternal story that is still to come. So for me, recently this has, asked, this has looked like me asking the Lord to just give me a different appetite, specifically when it comes to my phone. To have an appetite for, for eternity that actually lessens my appetite for, for my phone, for social media, for whatever I might find on there. So that when I turn to it to be, be distracted from either feelings or a task I have to do or just because I'm bored, that I actually lose an appetite for all that's on here. It's not all bad, but my appetite for it is so strong sometimes. And I forget when I'm looking at it, the world around me, and that God's word and God's people are the only two things that are eternal in life. And sometimes it just looks like spending a little less time on it. Like when you're standing in a lineup at a grocery store. Force yourself to not pick up your phone, to just look around. Who's around me? Should, who can I smile at? Who can I help? Who can I encourage? Or just think. Let your mind wander. Where does it take you? Who can you pray for? So, we can be mindful of our vaporness, and we should be. And then we need the wisdom to apply it. So start where you are. That would be my encouragement to you. Start where you are, not where you want to be. What spheres are you ready in? 
Your, your house, who lives with you? Your school, who do you go to school with? Your work, who do you work with? What people do you already see? Christians and non-Christians? What teams or groups are you already a part of? And then put those eternal glasses on, that lens that actually lets you see everything around you with this lens of eternity. And then ask yourself, what does it look like to live in all of these spheres as though I'm dying, as though they're dying, because we're all dying. But this isn't it. That's not the end. And James, he gives us a little bit of a formula for what this could look like. So number three, point number three is perspective shift. So in verse 15, um, rather than saying tomorrow or the next day I'm going to go here or there, do this or that with no thought to the Lord, verse 15 he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Seems simple, right? Which it is to some degree, simply put, it's just actually changing your perspective to include God. Include God in your thoughts. Turn to him first. As you plan and spend your time, do so in light of eternity and of of your father. In light of his greater story. And in light of just how short time really is. We're invited to live in light of eternity and not the weekend. We're invited to, to saturate our plans, our calendars, our thought life, our time with Jesus, to make his priorities our priorities. Now, to clarify, you're not, you're not saved by those things. If you find yourself after this sermon here at the church every single night for the next year, good for you, but that doesn't save you. That doesn't earn you any merit. And the, the point isn't to just stop all you're doing and only do what we consider holier things. No, do the things you're already doing, but examine why am I in these spheres? Why am I doing these things? And how can I live in light of eternity? Because we will be held to account for every single moment on this earth. One day we will see Jesus face to face. And we'll run through every moment that we wasted and every moment that we spent well. And each of our wasted moments, well, in that moment, when we are looking him in the face, his righteousness will cover every wasted moment. So when you think about it, Jesus... He never wasted a moment when he spent time here on earth. His short 30-something years here on earth as a human, they were never hurried, but they were always purposeful. They were never self-serving and always others-focused and servant-hearted. They were never idle or meaningless, but they were always in light of eternity. He rested and he Sabbathed and he ate good food with good friends. He spent time alone. He spent time with strangers. And every moment within his human experience, he lived in light of eternity, in light of what was still to come. Even, even in the moments leading up to his death, in Matthew 26, verse 39, right before he's about to go to the cross, he's praying and he says in that prayer, my father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So what is he saying in that moment? He's saying, Lord, if, if you will that I'm going to suffer awful things and die a terrible death on a cross where I'll end up suffocating to death and while all the wrath of God is heaped on me, that's what's ahead of me. And I don't really want to do that. But if it is your will, then I will, because not my will, but your will be done. In that moment, God, 
the Son, in human form, submitted himself to God's will for his tomorrow. So that we can be covered by that record on Judgment Day, by Jesus' record. And so in response to Christ's purposeful Lord, not as I will, but as you will. In response to that, we live, we walk, we, we run our races, seeking always to, to number our days, to remember that eternity is coming. We live within our stories with the knowledge that, that they affect us, they affect our eternities, and they affect the eternities of those around us. And as we think about the life that Jesus is calling us to, as we, as we audit our own lives, one, one way to evaluate it is to look at what, what is the fruit of what I've been doing this last week. When I audit my last week, was the fruit of it busyness or holiness? Or was the fruit anxiety or this, this settled presence in the moment to moment? Was the fruit irritability and discord? Was I actually striving to, um, to not make peace with those around me because they were all driving me nuts? Or was I actually encouraging and building up those around me? Was I restless or was my soul satisfied? What is the fruit of what I've been doing? Because perhaps, just maybe, if we lived like we were dying, then we'd be able to actually reflect the heart of God and grow in holiness and see those around us as, as souls in need of a great physician, just like we were. And maybe then our souls would be satisfied as we look to our creator for answers, to our creator for satisfaction. So don't just quit all the things. Don't quit all your hobbies and just show up at the church every night. That's, that's not the point. We don't want you to just join all the Bible. I mean, we do want you to join the Bible studies. We think they're great. But also, don't just quit all the things and join the Bible studies. Because then your heart wouldn't actually be changed. And that's what the Lord's after. And we need Christians in all the spheres of all of life. So stay in your hobbies. Stay in the things. Maybe not all of them, but lots of them. So we might do all the same things. With, with different attitudes and different heart postures because our desire is now to live like we're dying. And every day in our free time, I think we have this choice. We have this choice to, to consume, to create, or to cultivate. Those are our choices. When we think, I have a spare hour, what am I going to do with this hour? Well, often we consume, because often that's the easiest. It's just this passive enjoyment of, of entertainment. Recently, I took in um, Lindsay Lohan's return to film on Falling for Christmas in Netflix, on Netflix. That is some passive entertainment, but it was great. I would recommend. Uh, or sometimes you're just checking Instagram, whatever. You're on your phone. That's passive, passive uh, consumption of something. That's not wrong, but it's consuming something. You're just passively receiving it. Or we can create something. This is where we're actually inventing something that wasn't there before. Often, it's something you might leave behind for, for others to enjoy. So that might be some, doing some Christmas baking and passing it on to someone or writing someone an encouraging note, whatever that might be. But it's actually creating something for the purpose of something that didn't exist before that has a purpose. Or thirdly, we can cultivate something. So this is intentionally developing something that actually demands something of us. This is where we're developing our mind. We're reading a book that's really uh, something to chew on. It's giving us new thoughts and, and pressing the way we think already. Or even just a good novel where you're invited into this imagination, this world of imagination, whatever it might be. Or something like gardening. We're actually developing something, cultivating, creating something. Or you might cult cultivate a new friendship or mentor someone. 
So next time you have free time, when you think about those things, what, what will you do? Will you consume? Will you create? Or will you cultivate? Because if we're, if we're made in God's image, he is primarily a creator and a cultivator and, and never a consumer. And, and he's given us gifts. He's given us so many good gifts to enjoy and to consume. But do we give him the, the glory and do we thank him as we're actually enjoying those gifts, as we're consuming things, even like a good Netflix show? So I think the invitation is, is not to change up all your hobbies and come to the church or never rest and just always be creating something new. No, we need to rest. But it's how do we actually rest well without only ever consuming, just consuming? How do we consume a good gift and not forget the giver? How do we, we live in the presence with eyes set on the future? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are a new creation in Christ. That means we've been given a new heart with new desires. So we actually get to ask him for an appetite. Give us an appetite, Lord, for eternity, for the things of eternity. Because we only have one life to live. One life and then eternity. Our friend Aaron only had a few hours left of his life when he jumped in his truck to drive home. We might just have tonight. Or we might have 50 more years. We don't know. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So, so what stories will we live then in this couple hours left or 50 more years left? What stories are we going to live? How will we spend our moments, because every moment, every moment matters in eternity. Will we live thoughtlessly, arrogantly, short-sightedly, or will we live like we're dying, with holy abandon to the one who holds our futures and the one who has prepared a home for us to dwell with him forever and ever and ever? Let's pray. Father, it is hard for us to think about eternity because it isn't something that we see. It's something that no one's really come back to tell us what it's like. And yet your word has told us what it will be. And we know that when Jesus died and rose again, he defeated the power that death has over us. That we actually have this future living hope that we know that our Savior is currently seated at your right hand in human form, alive and well, and waiting to receive your people home. So Lord, may you help us, may your spirit empower us tonight, even as we continue on tonight um, in worship and in chatting and in, in fellowshipping together and in the weekend as we consider how are we going to spend our free time? Will we be consumers or will we be creators and cultivators like you are? May you give us eyes for the eternal, may you give us an appetite for the eternal. We can't do it on our own. Lord, we love you. May you stir in us a love and a desire to see you face to face. Until you come again, may you find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.